1: Welcome to the Marketplace. Coming up, concerned ex-employees of GN Savings and Loans appealed to Finance Minister and Bank of Ghana Governor to reinstate the license of GN Savings and Loans to restore lost jobs.
4: Life after the revocation of GN license has been a terrible nightmare for majority of the employees. Most ex-staff have remained jobless as a result of the limited job opportunities in the country.
1: Also coming up, Ghana's savings from oil exports since commercial production declines marginally to $1 billion. And fuel prices go up at the pumps as petrol is now selling at 13 cities 50 pesos, while diesel goes for 13 cities 90 pesos. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Details coming up. And first up, concerned ex-employees of GN Savings and Loans have appealed to the president to issue an executive order for the governor of the Bank of Ghana to reinstate the bank. Though the bank was reclassified from a commercial bank to a savings and loans company with threats of insolvency, this was not enough to save the institution, which had close to 5,000 direct and indirect employees, over 1.3 million customers and 300 branches across the country at the time. Uh, speaking at a press conference to commemorate four years of the revocation of the license of the Exwell Bank. Convener of the group, Kofi Fosu, said uh, the move will ensure or will restore lost jobs and strengthen in the informal economy.
4: Life after the revocation of GN license has been a terrible nightmare for majority of the employees. Most ex-staff have remained jobless as a result of the limited job opportunities in the country, as well as the stigmatization associated with the revocation of lances. Such that former or ex employees apply for jobs and they will look at them with skepticism and say, Sorry, we can't employ you. But may know that at the onset and to the level that we got to. These were the same staff that prepared the bank to the level that the bank got to. Now they become outcasts. One other important concern has to do with our pension benefits. The revocation of the lancings has had an adverse effect on our pensions. Majority of the ex employees are unable to make contributions towards their pensions for the last four years since revocation. We recognize that the bank was faced with some liquidity challenges at certain points as a result of delays on the part of borrowers to settle their loan obligations on time. But a substantial portion of this credit default were due to the government's inability to honor its obligation to most of our customers who have executed jobs for some state institutions. And I'm referring to contractors and suppliers of services to state institutions. We believe that the regulator, which is the Bank of Ghana, could have resorted to a more progressive and human-centric approach to remedy the situation and the difficulties at the time, rather than the iron-fisted method adopted to revoke the lancings of the bank. This is very sad. We therefore passionately appeal to the President of the Republic to intervene by using his executive powers to urge the governor of Bank of Ghana to restore the operating license of GN
1: Savings. And so, those uh, are some ex employees of GN Savings and Loans addressing the press, commemorate four years uh, since the license of uh, Savings and Loans Company was revoked. Now, Ghana's savings from crude oil exports since it started producing oil in commercial quantities has declined martially. The Ghana Petroleum Funds report showed that it dropped to $1 billion ending June this year. Here's George Jaffee with more. In June 2022, the balance in Ghana's
5: accounts in the Federal Reserve Bank in New York, USA, stood at $1.2 billion. However, fast forward to June 2023, and this amount reduced to $1 billion. A careful look at the account shows that an amount of $83 million was withdrawn on this account ending June this year. However, we don't have fine details of the accounts to establish the exact date their draw was done. Ghana savings from oil exports and production has been put into the Ghana Stabilization Fund and the Ghana Heritage Fund. The country's laws requires that part of these earnings should be put in the Ghana Stabilization Fund so that governments can fall on in times of crisis to finance the budget. On the other hand, the Ghana Heritage Fund is meant for future generations so they can benefit from Ghana's oil fund. The Ghana Stabilization Fund currently has $134 million in it, whilst the Ghana Heritage Fund Has $962 million. This brings the total amount in these two accounts to $1 billion. Again, a careful look at the accounts have raised questions about their returns on them. This is because the laws that guide the petroleum funds actually restricts
1: the areas that it can be invested. Kojo chairs Policy Lead, Petroleum and Conventional Energy at the Africa Center for Energy Policy ASAP. He joins me on Zoom with a reaction to this story. Good afternoon to you. Thanks for uh, agreeing to speak with us. So how worried well should we be that the revenue we save from crude oil exports seems to be declining, um, albeit marginally? Uh,
6: good afternoon. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, so uh, let's break this down a bit. Uh, the withdrawals, which uh, you've seen, that uh, your report says accounts for the reduction in how much we have in savings. is actually uh, allowed by by the law. Uh, the law that sets up the Stabilization Fund allows the finance minister to place a cap and then take part of that uh, to support the budget in periods where petroleum uh, revenue is, is low uh, to be able to prop up the budget. But the catch here is that it provides guidelines uh, for such capping to be done. And uh, the, the regulations for the Petroleum Revenue Management, if we were to follow it consistently as it provides for, we should be having today around $600 million in the stabilization fund, not the one that you see there that is because the finance minister has consistently capped the stabilization fund at 100 million to mm-hmm. be able to cream off the excess for uh, uh, supporting the budget and also into the sinking fund for debt services.
1: Okay. Uh, and considering uh, the economic challenges that we experienced uh, the previous year, can government be excused uh, because in did money to finance the budget amid the economic uh, challenges?
6: No, no, no. I mean, it can be excused because if you look at the criteria for uh, taking the money, you should uh, take it when there are uh, shortfalls in petroleum revenue that goes into the budget. So, if you have shortfalls and the ABFA. Uh, cannot support the budget like it used to, the previous year, then you have to now take that money. That is why it was justified during 20, uh, 2020 when governments had to dip their house to take uh, 200 million to support the budget because of COVID. Now, we have increased revenue last year. We, we, uh, revenue increased by a billion. We are expecting that uh, the same trend this year, which means that there will be enough to support the budget. So you shouldn't have the situation where the finance minister will consistently tap because the ABFE fee will be sufficient to support the budget. If those withdrawals were not have been made, we would have accumulated about $3 billion in the um, the uh, Ghana Petroleum Funds still. date. But we have only $1 billion because over the years, every year, the finance minister we withdraw. Last year, it was around $500 million. Mm. That was withdrawn over the cap, and we are expecting more. So these 83, just for the first half of the year. By the end of the year, you should expect that amount of withdrawal to go up. Uh,
1: earlier, you talked about guidelines. So it's not the case there, there are no uh, guidelines in, or appropriate measures in place to check this. So uh, it's an issue of following this guidelines. So how do we tackle that?
6: No, it's just uh, a sympathetic of uh, the finance ministry, the finance minister, and their total disregard for the rules that govern how Petroleum uh, Revenues are to be managed in the country, We've not had these blatant breaches of the law uh, like we are having now. So it's just a matter of the, the, the finance ministry decided to respect the law that we have all set to ensure that our petroleum uh, resources are managed efficiently.
1: So how do we hold them to task if they breach these guidelines? No. Okay, we're we're trying to um, reconnect with a... Kodri Aoche, policy lead petroleum at ASEP, uh, having a little challenge with his connection there. But while we do that, uh, some news from uh, the fuel price hikes that we have been reporting over the past uh, a couple of days. Some marketing companies have started increasing prices of petroleum products at the pumps. Total Energies has increased the price of petrol to 13 cities, 50 pesos from 12 cities, 45 pesos at the beginning of this month. Diesel is also going for 13 cities, 90 pesos from the previous price of 12 cities, 45 pesos. The rest of the major oil marketing companies are expected to also adjust prices today. Earlier, the Chamber of Petroleum Consumers announced that... Uh, fuel prices will see an increase of about 5.7% in the second pricing window of August. So uh, that's the latest concerning fuel price hikes. I don't know if we still have Kojo on. Do we? Or we've lost him. Well, let's turn to tourism now. The Minister of Tourism, Arts and Culture, Mohamed Awal, has announced that government will be launching a project to solicit novel tourism ideas from young people During his address at an editor's forum held in Accra, he said the initiative is aimed at getting the youth more interested in tourism and engaging them to come up with innovative business models for the sector. He said the government was going to launch a 100 million city tourism enterprise project next year. Let's discuss this further with uh, Emmanuel Fimpong, who is president of the Africa Tourism Research Network. Good afternoon to you. So uh, what do you make of this 100 million city tourism enterprise Uh, targeted at the youth.
2: Well, um, good afternoon, Daryl, and uh, good afternoon to your cherished viewers. Uh, I think it's a welcoming news for the industry, because uh, if you look at uh, young people in the sector, gradually a lot of them are getting interested um, in the tourism and hospitality uh, sector. Actually, even yesterday, I was having a conversation with uh, Ghana Association of Tourism and Hospitality Students, their president, and where for the past few weeks we've been looking at uh, tourism, entrepreneurship, and digital hub on their various campuses. So it's a welcoming idea. We welcome it. Um, I think there are uh, equally more questions that we also need to ask because uh, we've heard some of these uh, promises before. So we are just looking forward to getting more detailed information about how and when and where. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, the concern with such initiatives is if the money will to reach the right people, as we have written in the past, what due diligence must go into it? ¿Escuchas ese
0: rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? I think
2: what what the ministry needs to do is to work with industry players, the private sector, because um, some of them have structures that can help uh, these uh, tourism entrepreneurs, because tourism is such that you need to have some level of experience You don't just get up and set up uh, a tourism enterprise. So they need to work closely with um, private sector. And for those who are in schools, they need to also pick certain uh, group of them and then nurture them, have entrepreneurship hubs, so that they are trained and they are given resources to actually have their businesses run very well. So it's not a matter of just having money, 100 million, and then we call for people to bring ideas there is a lot more to it than just that. So um, the ministry needs to actually sit down with the uh, the private sector and design a program and a process for this to be done well.
1: Well, uh, also at that forum was talk about the Destination Ghana project, the four-year project aimed at attracting 2 million uh, international arrivals into the country and 2 million domestic tourists uh, as well. Um, Are you satisfied with how this project is going so far?
2: Not at all. Not at all. Because there's a lot more. You, you see, you can't just say you want to attract people, and then the people will come. Of course, naturally, Ghana is a place that people have interest in, in, in coming. But unfortunately, most of them, when they come, they get uh, dissatisfied with a lot of things. And it has to do with service. The service quality has been poor. And we keep talking about it, and nothing is being done. So, if we don't, we don't do something about the service quality. Yes, the two million is not much. To be honest with you, we can do far more than two million. But if we don't do something about the service quality in the tourism and hospitality industry, we will keep talking about the numbers, and we will not achieve it.
1: Also, we're hearing uh, that for the first half of this year, Ghana has attained the number of 500,000 tourist arrivals as uh, 41% of what uh, of the 1.2 million target we expect this year.
2: Well, uh, no. <laughs> uh, when it comes to numbers, uh, tourism arrivals, uh, I personally have a challenge with, with the data because. Um, the source is really from the Ghana Immigration Service and basically from the airport. So when they get the figures, it's usually people that arrive into the country. So we have no idea whether they are actually tourists or they are here to do something else. So we put everything together and we say we have this number. But the numbers are not really tourist arrivals. They are just people who come in. And until we begin to sift out and know the numbers that are coming in because of tourism or coming in for the purposes of tourism, we will, ch- we will continue to chant the numbers out. But in real terms, they may not be tourists.
1: Well, uh, great to speak with you. It's been a while. Imanofi um, Mpom, president of the ATRN. Uh, appreciate your time with us. Hopefully, we'll speak another time. You're watching The Marketplace, Let's Talk Tech. A new study by Home Security Heroes has revealed that threats, Instagram, and other meta platforms are the worst social media platforms for protecting user privacy. The study also showed that meta platforms, particularly Threads, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Messenger, collect 86% user data for advertising and marketing purposes, which is way more than any other social media platform does. Henry Kobler is lead for Eyes of Africa and joins us for uh, Let's Talk Tech. Good afternoon to you, uh, great to have you. Um, Henry, how concerned should we be about this study?
3: Thank you very much, Daryl. So I think that when um, had came into, into force and that basically had the interest of a lot of uh, users, we, we had actually spoken about it and then had indicated that when a product comes in. Usually, the most important thing you should do is to understand the mother uh, the mother company of the, of the of the product. Really, everyone looked at Facebook and what they've been. If you understand Facebook um, advertisement models, the, the strategies, in marketing, and all of those things. It was one of the things that you would definitely envision. They were only playing on the complaints and then the um, new Enforcement in terms of the manipulations which were coming in from Twitter, and then certain implementations which users which were accustomed to the old Twitter were used to. And so they just thought that it was just one of those things where they could definitely get users to jump onto a new platform. But even looking at the mother company itself, you're going to sort of understand that they were coming in in a in in different force. I mean, if you looked at one of the terms and conditions where they have placed it, to delete thread meant that you would have to delete your Instagram. And they knew that people had their Instagram, uh, what you call it, accounts grown to the extent that they wouldn't want to delete their Instagram account. And so it was sort of a mind game that we were playing to sort of fit into the market and make sure that they sort of have a competitive product, which was going to be there. Now, to what we should be concerned about, we should be majorly concerned about, because, I mean, now on your phones, definitely every application is not even doing a standalone monitoring. There are quite a number of monitoring purposes which is going on, uh, on even different applications, which is sort of informing the main application that is monitoring you on the kind of information you're putting out there, the kind of interest you have, the kind of um, site you're visiting, and all of those things. And uh, so we should sort of be very much concerned. And I'm, I'm looking at how our data protection laws technically, could also now look into some of these applications directly and be pushing up laws. I have seen the JRA basically putting um, taxations on some of these platforms, and they're working, and so I see that there's some level of influence, especially from African countries, that can be on some of these applications. And I feel that it should be the same thing when it comes out to data protection.
1: Well, so this week, the Data Protection Commission has been carrying out an exercise to clamp down on institutions not complying with the country's data laws. Uh, just wondering, though, how compliant are tech firms here in Ghana, do you think?
3: So I think that um, we could have a lot of improvements. Um, data protection has sort of been in the place where they they sort of looking at how they can get people to be compliant. But I've not seen a real um, on-the-ground um, implementation. I've seen trainings and all of those things happening. But as to tapping into systems to relatively see that I mean clients or companies or startups are actually compliant, I've not really seen that. It's sort of just renewal of licenses and all of those. Things. At this age, I'm just looking at How can we get into making sure that these companies are being compliant? Um, We have test systems that can understand the models of how they're using some of the information and all of that. I think that for now, they're sort of majorly relying on information or or complaints from users and from clients of, of people. Um, which is now giving them some level of information to process. And I think that even the processing of some of these uh, issues, basically is going to take a bit of time because they has to be reported to the police, the police has to comment. How many people are just going to, I mean, go through that whole process just because they've just had the text message Because they give a data to a particular client and a particular client keeps sending them the data. Or they've actually had to give them the address and then the address is being used to harass them them physically. Some of those things are the things we have to start looking at. How can we have a major implementation and uh, structure which can actually make sure that the people that are taking information using any applications Mm -hmm. basically to data protection laws in Ghana.
1: Uh, 30 seconds if you can, um, Henry, how can social media users protect themselves from data breaches?
3: Majorly, I mean, very first of all, when you're basically jumping on any social media application, first thing, read the terms and conditions. And the thing that a lot of people don't do, but these are inherent points where Uh, you're having a lot of information coming in. The second thing is that you should yourself be very sure that the information you're giving to any application is not too detailed. I mean, some information that we give out, some applications are not really needed. It's not that important, but we sort of put in a lot. And again, you should also remember that now there's AI, there's machine learning and all of those things. Quite a lot of people like to post unnecessary stuff on their social media platforms and all of those things. And I think that that becomes a big of an issue for us because we realize that, um, when we're in that regard, you actually given yourself the data to, I mean, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning applications, which they are not manned by humans, but they do sort of understand, have emotions towards the information that you're giving them. So we should just generally be careful.
1: All right. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Henry Kobler, lead for ICE of Africa. You're watching the Marketplace. Next, our Money Lab episode for today.
0: Hello, welcome to MoneyLab. My name is Kofi Poly, Chief Operations Officer of People's Pension Trusts. We are continuing our base on pension on MoneyLab. In our last episode, we looked at how pension works. Today, we are going to look at the two basic types of pensions. One is what we call the Defined Benefit Scheme. With the Defined Benefit Scheme, there is a formula to calculate pensions for members the key parameters in the formula are the frequency of your contribution. That if it's monthly, how many months are you contributing per month? Then we also look at your salary, the salary contributed. These are the two parameters we use in calculating your pension in terms of old age retirement. The other one is what we call the defined contribution scheme. With the defined contribution scheme we are not interested in your frequency of payment of contributions what we are interested in is how much have you contributed and interest that has accrued on it and at the end of the day when you are going on retirement it is paid out to you thank you once again for being with us on money lab hope to see you in our next episode
1: And that's the marketplace. Thanks for watching. There's more news on our website, myjoyonline.com forward slash business. Uh, GRRS managers of three hotels for fat infractions. You can read more about that on our website, myjoyonline.com forward slash business. We are back same time tomorrow.
0: Escuchas ese rugido. Sientes la experiencia de poder. La emoción de la libertad.